You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the Best Life. Okay, we are recording. What's going on? Hey, how are you? Good. (laughs) I'm so excited. You uh, made it to LA. I did. And we're going to talk about all the things. So super pumped and honored to have Dr. Tina Moore here for the best life to talk about all amazing things, natural health, uh, pain, regenerative medicine, anti-aging, all that good stuff. So welcome. Thank you. You made it from Portland. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I was at your event last month where you were doing what? So it was called the Doceri Summit, and I gathered about 120, 130 naturopathic doctors and acupuncturists and other healthcare professionals in a big space, and it was just a big throwdown to try to get them riled up about getting excited about being an entrepreneur and the fact that we really are in medicine entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Inherently, we have to be. And so, you know, we talked about what you presented on making sales fun and engaging and really dialing excited in. about selling your services. Yeah, exactly. And marketing. So it wasn't just about digital and online marketing. It was about all the things. It was basically my big battle cry to get the I profession going. So, so can you give us, um, just like tell for people listening who don't know what a naturopathic physician is, um, share with us what it is that you do primarily and then how you got into this. I think I always, I always love how people have like such a cool story about how they get into natural medicine. Yeah. So naturopathic doctors are trained in a four-year medical program and we learn all the things that you would in traditional medical school. We do not have required residencies, so there is a big difference there. Um, I think some confuse naturopathic doctors as primary care physicians. Some are trained as primary care physicians. Some of us specialize. But to me, I just consider it the clinical application of common sense. Like really, we just figure out it's root cause. So folks might be more familiar with functional medicine doctors. They, that medicine came out of naturopathic medicine. So that functional medicine, integrative medicine is really a spinoff of naturopathic medicine. We've been around for a long, long time. We've only been more well-known in the past few decades. We're small, we are small but mighty group. And so some of us specialize, others of us are generalists. I particularly specialized, I'm a chiropractor as well, so I specialized in regenerative joint therapies, basically natural therapies for for solutions for joint pain and joint health. Um, Some spin off into aesthetics. I had a really strong autoimmune and hormone practice for a long time, but I've dialed it back just to orthopedics. So that's, that's what I do. Amazing. So why would someone come to a naturopath versus going to a primary care, like an MD? I, think, I know you guys do primary care, but I an MD. Pe- I think people need both. I, I always encourage people to have both. You need an MD because MDs are going to be able to help you in a, in a more emergent situation. Although some naturopathic doctors can, I think of naturopathic doctors, what I do and what I've done for patients over the years is I just dial them in. So I take someone like you who say, you know, you're active, you're fit, you're healthy, you eat well, But say as you're aging, your hormones start to slip a little bit, or you might need to be, you know, hormones tinkered with, maybe some people are dealing with digestive issues and it's, you know, we know the gut impacts everything. Often it's a joint issue that they present to me with. So they'll say like my, you know, I hurt myself in the gym with my shoulder or my hip or whatnot. And so it's a, it's a comprehensive picture. It's never just one thing. It's, it's all the things that you have to 
treat on people. And I think of it as basic treatment guidelines. So for me, that's everyone, everyone has a different idea of what naturopathic basic treatment guidelines should look like. But for me, it's really simple. It's like, are you eating nutritionally dense food? Are you getting enough protein? Are you getting adequate sleep? Is it, is it good, dense, thick, healthy sleep? Are you um, hydrated? Are you drinking clean water? Are you getting clean air? Are you getting movement that's specific and strategic? All those things, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it sounds simple, but often we need somebody to help us navigate that. We try to go, you know, people go to the health food store and they're like, I'm having brain memory issues. I'm going to get some ginkgo. It's like, all right, well, that's nice. But also I can look at that person and I see five different things that I want to optimize to really make sure their brain's online and deal with inflammation and deal with, you know, was there traumatic head injuries? What nutrient status is, you know, what's going on there? So it's just a more comprehensive deep dive look, I think, into people's health. I love that because if you talk about some of the modalities that you guys use, it is like what we consider, like it may be like what someone would think of as like common sense, but you guys always talk about getting to the root cause. So just taking ginkgo is like taking, you know, like a, a drug, right? For to just like treat a symptom. And what you guys always do is like try and figure out the, the root cause. Speaking of root cause, just like five minutes ago, Tina diagnosed my dog. <laughs> I'm so upset. <laughs> Well, I have a knack for dogs. I I should have been a vet. I, I just can look at dogs and I know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So basically Tina walks in and she goes, oh, like she's filled out. So you guys know Pip the Pomsky. She's always featured prominently in our interviews. Um, and she's a little fluffy and has a couple pounds to lose. And then I said, yeah, she's been licking a lot, which she is. She licks constantly. And so Tina did a little bit of research. She was like, that's hypothyroid and like, and you could kind of see it on her, like the way that her fur is and stuff. So maybe we have to get her on a little regimen. Yeah. Well, often it's just changing their diet. It's just like humans. When we carb out, we get hypothyroid. (laughs) I think of thyroid in dogs and in humans as basically um, a side effect of being overly fed. If you eat too often and you eat too many carbohydrates, people will just sort of tank their, they'll eat themselves into hypothyroidism. Really? And so I think dogs are the same. So if they, if they're fed constant, I don't know what her feeding schedule is, but that's why I think one of the reasons intermittent fasting is so potent is because you're feeding within a window and you're not just grazing all day. Grazing is the ticket to being hypothyroid. Interesting. You sort of have to starve the thyroid and stoke it. Okay. So whatever you want to do with that with her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe we can talk about a protocol after this is over. Um, I love it. So then how did you end up getting into natural medicine? Was it something that you like kind of grew up and you're like, okay, I just want to do this. Or did you use it because you were like, cool, I have my own things going on and I need to figure out a solution and all of these MDs are not cutting it. Like what was the deal? I was a really sick little kid. I came out of the womb and was put on antibiotics. I was a really sick little kid and I was taken from specialist to specialist to specialist my whole life. So I was in and out of doctor's offices. And back then we didn't have health insurance or HMOs. My mom was paying out, you know, with her checkbook. And I was just, it was constant. I just remember constantly being in doctor's offices. And when I was five, I had chronic sinusitis and congestion. And I remember being held down on the table by my mom and like a bunch of nurses. And the doctor was trying to suction snot out of my sinuses with a long tube oh deal God. like you know at the dentist when they suck the water out oh yeah it was like that it was like that and I remember thinking there's got to be a better way to do this and, and I, at five you were thinking that at five they were I was like held down on the table it was constant it was always blood draws and it was horrible needles everywhere pharmaceuticals all the time I was just sick all the time and so Flash forward, the only doctors that ever really sat down and talked to me were chiropractors. They were the only ones that would actually take the time to answer me. I'm a smart person. I was a smart kid. And as a little kid, I would ask compelling questions that were hard to answer. And I, I wanted to know why. I was, I was always the why girl. Like, well, why, why is that? Why do I have to take this? What is this doing? And most doctors were just offended that I would even question them. Mm-hmm. And my chiropractors always answered me. So I was always, my chiropractors were probably the most helpful to me. I did not know about naturopathic medicine And then when I was in my 20s out of undergrad, I didn't know what I wanted to do because I had spent my entire life wanting to become a doctor. And when I got to 19 years old, I was working at Oregon Health Sciences University in a dementia and Alzheimer's clinic. And like, this is where people came when they were vegetables, like severe neurologic conditions. And the head doctor out there told me in like 1997, he said, or no, gosh, 1995, he said, if I spend more than seven minutes in a room with a patient, I'm losing money. 
wow. because of the way HMOs and health insurance is going. And wow. I was like, fuck this. Like, yep. I can't. That's not why I put, committed my whole life to this process. And so I, I kind of gave up. I got really disillusioned and bummed out. And I ended up applying for a receptionist job at a naturopathic doctor's office in Portland. And he did not hire me, thank God. Um, he referred me on to my, who became my mentor, Dr. Rick Marinelli. And the minute I walked in and met Rick, we were like, it was like, oh, there you are. Like we were fa- like you and I, mm-hmm. like fast friends, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I spent 20 some years with him and he was amazing. He was a Jedi. He was an acupuncturist as well. And he was really, he really is the reason that we have a stronghold in this profession. And most people have forgotten him, but he which is sad. He died in 2013 of cancer. And there's a whole generation of young doctors coming up in this profession who don't know who he is. So I try to carry that legacy forward. But he was amazing. And he let me help him in his office with all the things. So I got to learn nutraceuticals and herbs and Chinese medicine and injections and IV therapy. He was doing IV therapy back in the early 90s. Like now it's, wow. you know, now it's like biohacking and yeah, everyone's yeah. slinging the IVs. But I remember his his hands and his whole office, everything smelled like B vitamins because he was always doing IV therapy. So he was really in the forefront of things and amazing. So that was kind of, and then I took over his practice when he got sick and yeah. And then I qu- quickly realized that I was burning out because of the way that it all went down. And that's a, another story for another time. But that's when I met you. And I was like, I got to I got to figure this out. Like I got to figure out this online thing because I have a mission and I have a, I have a legacy. This isn't about me. Like this is, I mean, it is, but it's bigger than me. And I, you know, so you've always, you've, you've helped me for years. <laughs> well, I love working with you because you're, you're so easy to work with because you take a shitload of action and you don't, you don't need micromanaging. You're always like, cool. Like you need help with like some of the big kind of like vision type stuff, but you always implement. So when you were at that point where you're like, okay, you know, we talk a little bit about online business on this podcast because Danny and I both do that. But, you know, how do someone know if they're just say they're listening and they're a practitioner of some sort and they're like kind of starting to get maxed out or you, you mentioned burned out. What does that look like? And then how do they start doing something else? What if they're like, I just need to see patients. I need to work more. I need to. And also if you don't love your patients, like, does that happen? What's, you know, how do you know? It all, all of the above. Well, it's, it's a couple things. Um, I'll keep me on track so I don't go on a tangent. We like tangents though too. It's <laughs> for me, watching him die was such a devastating blow because I had spent my whole life like that. I'd known him trying to be as good as him. And mm-hmm. then suddenly he was just like disintegrating in front of me, you know? And I, I thought, like, I just wanted to work beside him. And I never got that chance, really. Because when I graduated from school, and I was out, and I was licensed, and I finally got both my degrees, my licenses, um, in chiropractic and naturopathic medicine, the recession hit, and he was not in a place where he could take me on as a resident. And so, and it was weird, there was just stuff going on. And so I didn't get to work beside him the way that I had always envisioned. And then he got sick and died. And I was like, I don't want to fucking do this. Like, I don't want to do this without him here. You know, like he was my best friend and a mentor and like a father figure slash big brother to me. And so I felt a lot of fearlessness when he was around and suddenly he was gone and I was no longer fearless. And my schedule went, just went off like gangbusters after he died. And even though I was a cash practice and everybody thought I was killing it, I was, but I was killing myself to kill it. You know, it was like doctors often confuse, I think a lot of healthcare practitioners confuse a busy schedule with success. Mm. They think because they're working five days a week and their schedule's packed that they're successful. They're really not if they're taking insurance. Like that's a whole other that's a nightmare for me. Like I can't even imagine having done that, but I was doing the one off like cash for services, one off, one off, one off. And even then at the end of the year, your overhead's so astronomical that you're, you're looking at your net income and you're like, this was not worth the time, stress and liability that I just took on. But you don't know anything else, right? Like you, you don't know another model. Really? No. And there is no other model. That's what I'm trying to recreate for my, or what I'm trying to put in front of my, you know, the, the gals that I coach now, the doctors that I coach, I'm trying to show them a different way of using marketing to create such a wall of value in front of them that they can ask for any price that they want. And so I think it's starting to catch on slowly, but surely. Um, and then I was, <clears throat> I remember when he died, I thought I have to get out. Everybody got mad at me. My husband at the time got mad at me. My parents got mad at me. Everybody got mad at me. So what I did is I referred out hundreds of patients that were general care, like hormones, autoimmune. And I just went to injections only. 
And I did that for a couple of years, but I had a long game. And my long game was work as few days as possible and make as much money. I didn't have to make more because I was already doing okay. I wanted to work. I, w- I wanted to go from five days a week to one day a week. And then I wanted to make that income irrelevant. So I gave myself a five-year plan. And you always talk about the long game. And I like, I, I mean, in my head, it was like, all right, drop down to four, drop down to three, drop down to two, drop down to one, working one day a week. <clears throat> then it was one day a month making the same amount. And then finally having other sources of revenue coming in where that I could close that out. And that was not an easy process by yeah. any means, but how long did that take? I mean, if you think about it, like, okay, say five years. yeah, five years. Yeah. Yeah. You made a post yesterday that resonated with me. You were like, it's an insult to those of us who've been grinding at this for so long to be frustrated that you're not there yet, you know? And I was talking to one of the gals in my mastermind who I adore. She's such a, she has such a great vision. Um, and she admittedly said on our last call, she was like, I'm just frustrated that it's not happening yet. I'm like, you just started, you know? And, and I, I was not offended by any means, but what you said really hit me. It's just like, come on guys. Like, and it's same thing with the regenerative medicine. I do. There's a lot of doctors that are one year out, two years out, and they're now teaching courses on how to do prolotherapy and regenerative medicine. And I'm like, sorry, no disrespect, but you're 12 (laughs) and you have no clinical experience. And I mean, maybe they're amazing at the technical side of things, but it takes thousands of patients and all the things going wrong and right before you actually know how to manage X, Y, and Z. So when I train doctors and they come to me and they're like, okay, I have this clinical case. I have the situation. I can 99.9% of the time say I've seen that. It's maybe it was only one other time, but I've, I've seen it, you know, and I think it's the same way in business. Like yeah. you just have to, there's times when I call you freaking out about stuff and you're like, Happened to me a million, me yeah. a million times. It's fine. <laughs> just let it go. Yeah, <laughs> let it roll off you, you know? Yep. And so, I mean, that's just life, right? And it's experience. And I think experience counts. And I think you just have to. So I knew it was like five years. I did not expect an overnight sensation. I do remember the first time I put something up online and I thought, where are they? And then my friend at the time, J.R. Burgess, was like, Tina, you have not warmed anybody. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, oh yeah. Why isn't this working? (laughs) Yeah. You know, and so that goes to expectation management. I know that you have a couple of masterminds that you, um, that you run with naturopaths and people who want to learn prolotherapy. We can talk more about that in a second, but how do you manage your client's expectations of when someone comes to you and says, I'm frustrated, it's not happening fast enough. What are the tools that you give them besides just saying it's going to take a long time? You're new. What are some of the ways in which they can, if someone's listening to this going, oh my God, I feel that way. I just started this thing. I want it to go faster. How do they stay the course when it's not happening fast? I think, you know, it's the same for patients too, because patients would come in and it didn't matter how much I tried to prep them in that first visit. They thought this was a one-shot wonder. They thought this injection one time was Did going they think to be... it was like uh, taking a, a drug or something? Yeah. They thought it was going to be like magic. And as I got online traction, they actually thought that I had something magical in my syringe that no one else had. And yeah, I'm really good technically with what I do, but it, that, and that's a big piece of it. But anyway, um, same in business. It's just, and I tell the docs in my, that I coach, I'm like, you guys, this is just like our medicine. When patients come in and they've had something for like, say five or 10 years, I would tell them very clearly, it's all about setting expectations up front. And I would tell them very clearly, this is going to take a month for every year you've had this, at least a month, for every year you've had this to get some traction on it. And so if they've been in chronic pain for 10 years, we're looking at probably a 10 month, 10 months at least of treatment. Um, And I think it's the same thing in business. You know, it's like a lot of these docs that coach with me are coming fresh out of school and they have never even had, they have not built a practice yet. So they don't even know how hard that is. That's, I mean, I always tell people like, people think school's hard. The first five years out of school, building a practice is the hardest until you get some momentum. And then, you know, you got to roll and you got to keep that momentum and roll with it. You have a baby in the middle of that. You move and try to, you know, it's, it's all those are factors that slow down that momentum. I'm not saying don't have babies, but like, this is hard shit. And it's the same thing with building an online. And I knew that going in because I was older when I came out of school. I, I was probably 10 years older than most of my colleagues. So I knew what life was like. I'd had a career before school came out, built my practice. I knew a hundred percent I was going to be as successful as I was. I just knew it. And I just had to get there, right? Like it wasn't a matter of, 
oh, why isn't this working? It was like, I knew what the end looked like. I've always been that way though. I think that's just something as a gift I have. And I was like, I just have to get to there. How do I get there? How do I navigate this with the least amount of pitfalls? And then it was the same thing with online. I never doubted that it would work. It was just a matter of finding the right people. And I think the universe puts you. I mean, it was the craziest thing with you. I was telling somebody the other day, I knew you through Jade because Jade was like the OG online ND. I didn't know him personally. I just knew of him. And he was somebody that I had really like, oh, okay, he's doing it. So it's possible, right? Somebody has to mirror it, hopefully for you. And then I, I knew you through, I think, Metabolic Effects website. And then somehow I randomly got an email from you. Like, I don't recall signing up for anything. I don't recall following on. I didn't even know what Instagram, how it worked. Like, I, <laughs> and somehow I get this email and it literally was none of your other stuff. It was literally like, I just opened a high-end mastermind and that was it. And I, I looked you up and I was like, she's amazing. And I called, that was it. It was crazy. I so know. I love it. I think the universe strategically. <laughs> that's what, you know, that's what, one of the things that I definitely help my girls with too is, is going, okay, like we're never in charge of when people buy, right? We're never in charge of when the client says yes to the opportunity. The only thing that we're in charge of is putting the opportunity in front of them consistently adding value and being top of mind, you know, cause I'm sure you've had this too. People have been following you for years or like it's, it was really fun for me to be at your event last month and have private conversations with some of the doctors that were there as participants. And they're like, oh my God, Dr. Tina, what she's doing for our <laughs> profession is so amazing. She's amazing. Like they really look up to you. And and that's obviously so well-deserved because of the things that you've done for the profession. So I love that you have a hashtag called uh, naturopathic revolution. So what's the problem here? Like what's the main thing that like we need to overcome in this profession? Like what's the thing that like gets you fired up? Like tell me what the problem is. Because I'm looking to you, I'm like, oh, it sounds like you guys have a great practice. It sounds like you, you know, help people all the time. It sounds right. like, so what's the problem? We are a long lineage of self-sacrificing professionals. And as much as I love the elders in my profession, because I'm friends with many of them, and I come from the elders, like I was, you know, I came from Rick's lineage. It, if you're not, if you're, uh, if you're not dying on the sword you're not considered worthy. If there's any self-service in it, like if it's self-serving, like the fact that I go online and sell things and make money off of people online and I make money off of my the docs in my profession, I coach them and I charge them money. And some people find it atrocious of me. So while there's, while there's as many people who love me and say thank you for what you're doing for the profession, there's many who think I'm self-serving and I'm a greedy, horrible capitalist, I'm sure. So we're cash poor Generally, um, our medicine, we were witch hunted for decades and now suddenly we got popular and I lived this. So as a kid, I was like little, you know, like I was into heavy metal and punk rock in junior high and high school and I got ostracized. I got beat up. I got called names. I got harassed. I got sexually harassed. I got bullied. And then all of a sudden, Nirvana Nevermind came out and grunge broke. And suddenly I was super popular and everybody wanted to be part, like wanted a piece of me. They wanted to date me. They wanted me to take them downtown to the clubs. They wanted to go buy Doc Martens with me. And suddenly I was super cool. And I was like, you guys can all go fuck yourselves. Like you literally have harassed me and thrown baseballs at my head and put gum in my hair and pulled my seat out from underneath me like for so many years. And now suddenly this is cool. No. That's not how this goes. And so I think a lot of the naturopathic doctors are feeling that right now because our medicine finally got popular. Functional medicine doctors do a great job of marketing it. Their paradigm is different than ours. Um, They go, they do, you know, if they go through the IFM, the Institute for Functional Medicine, they do a pretty rigorous, expensive certification. I know several naturopathic doctors who've been through that certification and they will tell you it's a little bit basic, Mm -hmm. no disrespect, but it's like basic naturopathy. And health coaches are coming up with great marketing machines and doing really well. And they have, you know, a 13 week online certification and they're basically advertising themselves in line with us. And what I keep trying to tell the naturopathic doctors is this is our fault. This is our fault that they're winning because we're not stepping up and they don't know how. So that's what I'm trying to teach them how I'm trying to teach them the basics of like, come on, this is how you build a basic digital marketing online platform, which I think every business should have. And they also lack really good leadership. It's like a bunch of Marines without a good general. So I'm taking on the role of leadership. And I think that's why I have so many doctors behind me saying thank you. You know, every day they're like, thank you for what you're doing. 
but I can't be the only one. It's exhausting. And there's just as many out there taking hits at us. In our, for, and it's the same in any profession. Somebody tries to step up and someone tries to slit their throat. You know, you put your neck out and you're going to get shot at. And so we've got all this infighting. We've got several different camps within our profession on how they view money, on how they view the medicine. Like some people think this is like, should be free and that they should, you know, die on the cross. And other people are like, I've got the young ones coming out, especially the ones who live here are so savvy and business savvy, but they have three, $400,000 worth of debt. So, and I try to walk the line. I try not, to, I, I can hang out in the elders camp, but I also can jive with the young people and I'm trying to get information. But I think the root cause of it is we're cash poor. We're taught to be cash poor and that that's the way to be. If you make money, you're considered self-serving and evil. And if you, um, we just don't have great leadership. So I think we're struggling. And I think epigenetically, we have trauma. Like we were literally witch hunted for so long that I think we're just all, I think we feel that. I think that got passed through and onto us. And so we're like, oh, you know, these functional medicine doctors go to the conferences and they see the light and they're like, this is amazing. This is root cause medicine. Let's go do it. And they think of it as a noble cause. And we're over here thinking of making money as like this evil thing. It's so weird. And there's a lot of socialism amongst the profession too, a lot of idealism. And I see that though with a lot of health professionals, we all just get into this because we want to help people. The thought of making money seems evil and wrong. And all, you know, it, it's like the opposite of being altruistic. So, well, you know, it's interesting as I love that you made that distinction because I think a lot of people listening probably do have, and this is something that Danny J teaches about rewriting your money story. And so if you are listening to this, even if you're not in the profession and you're kind of like, yeah, on some level, and we're, we see this all the time, like even in movies, right? We see like the evil you know, villain is up on the hilltop with the huge castle. Like it's already like whether or not like we're downloading those messages all the time. And so there is this idea that if you have money, you're somehow greedy, evil, etc. But when I look at you and what you've been able to do, and I've been able to have a front row seat to your journey over the last three years, and your income has exponentiated because you are able to get the what you're teaching out in a larger like in a larger way. And now you're teaching other doctors that are now going and teaching. So like not only as your income exponentiated, but your message and your service has also exponentiated as a result of money. And so that's where it's totally backwards. And the second thing that you said that I thought was really interesting, and obviously this is close to my heart, which is um, health coaches, right? Health coaches are coming out and maybe a lot of them went through their own kind of personal hormonal dysfunction or something like that. And so they are like, okay, well, I can talk about hormones. It doesn't seem that hard. And everyone wants hormones. And so, but I think maybe physicians or especially NDs thought that their degree was enough. It's like, well, I'm a doctor. So like, obviously I'm more qualified, but to the average person on the internet, they don't don't care. They don't know. They're not asking for your certifications. They don't think you're the smartest person in the room. They just want someone that can help them and speak their language. And so what sort of tactics or strategies are you helping naturopaths with when it comes to business? First off, I've always been really good at talking to people just in normal terms. So being able to describe what we do in normal terms and not getting so caught up. You know, the Movement Meister talks about this too. Like stop writing your content for your colleagues. This isn't about like how science heavy can I be? How many studies can I throw in here? It's almost to a fault where I, I, it's sort of the bane of my existence even to put studies in my posts because I'm like, freaking Google it. I didn't make this up. I'm a physician. I wouldn't like my reputation depends on me being credible. I wouldn't just throw this out there as like some theory. Um, I want people to be empowered and learn how to search. And so it's like, how do you connect through story? How do you share your story? How do you show vulnerability? The minute I took my white coat off and I started throwing the F-bomb around and like showing my tattoos was the minute I started making real money because people could connect with me. They want to see themselves through your story. And it's so funny because when I was started working with you, I didn't want to really, you know, dealing with middle-aged women is tough. It's a tough crowd. Why is it tough? Hormones. Yeah. And I think a lot of reasons, I think a lot of women are not allowed to step into their power and then they hit middle age and their kids go off to school and they often find themselves in sort of a health pickle. You know, their health has been, sac- they've been giving themselves for so many decades to everybody else and they've never taken care of themselves. And so they find themselves sort of in this health crisis and it's a tough crowd. And trying to deal with women's hormones is like trying to hit a moving target, you know? It's, <laughs> yeah. It's like Always hurting changing. cats. Yep. So it's, it's tough. And 
turns out women, middle-aged women, not only are the ones who are, Mike Mutzel told me this, he's like, it's middle-aged women who are buying things off the internet, Tina, so you have to cater to them to some degree. But also, I was getting all these messages all the time from middle-aged women who were like, thank you. Thank you for helping empower me. Thank you for your message. Mm. Thank you for what you're talking about. Thank you for talking about strength training. Thank you for all these things. And I was like, whoa, that's actually who's paying attention. I need to actually cater to these people whether I want to or not. So I had to reroute and find a way to do it that felt good to me that didn't feel like a, you know, and that all came down to me and my my self-limiting talk and and not having good boundaries, right? And so I that's a really a lot of what we work on is boundaries. When you're when your boundaries are being breached constantly as a doctor, you get resentful and bitter. So then you go online and you're like, well then now there's even more people breaching my boundaries because people think they can get free health advice online. By the way, everybody listening, don't email or message somebody who's a doctor on Instagram and say, can you, what do you think about this supplement for this condition? And like send you them a picture of your rash because we're not, we can't answer you. <laughs> so I mean, not no disrespect, but like we no, can't do online sense. medicine yes. and we certainly shouldn't do it for free. So it's these boundary breaches. I've even got docs that I'm coaching right now. They will send me a message. This is really common. I'll get a message from a colleague and they'll say, do you know any good prolotherapists in this area? And I'll say, I don't make personal referrals. Is this for you or your patient? And they're like, it's neither. It's somebody on the internet asking me, they want, they live in Timbuktu and they want Prello. And I was like, well, well, let's back up a minute. So you are not only taking your time out to give somebody a free referral. I'm not a referral service. Like I have a free cheat sheet for that, that you can opt in for, right? Like, and I'm not trying to be rude, but this is all about boundaries, right? So you're going to take time out of your schedule to answer this person because you, you're ble- we're all bleeding hearts and we want to help people. I get it. But then you're going to turn around and take my time to get me to stop what I'm doing and answer you. Look it up and answer you so that you can turn around and give somebody that I don't know that neither of us are going to monetize ever free advice. Like that doesn't make any sense. And I, But that- they don't have the tools. They don't have the to- tools. They don't. They don't even know that that's not – we're just so – programmed and taught through our schools and our naturopathic program to like give of ourselves till we're bleeding and dying. So it's no wonder there's such a high rate of burnout, you know, and physicians in general. And then as physicians, we're not allowed to admit any kind of psychological weakness. Otherwise, we can have our licenses revoked. Mm. So it's really, I mean, I'm just teaching most of these these docs boundaries and how to actually utilize the, the internet to create value, to bring people to you in a really ethical way that doesn't feel salesy or doesn't feel out of alignment with integrity, but also like, here's the boundaries. And then also here's the boundaries that you have in your practice with your patients. Like when I email my lawyer or my accountant, even if it's just to reprint a form I already had that I lost because I was too lazy to look through my emails, I get another bill for 65, 100 bucks. But for with doctors, what do we do? We spend hours outside of patient care time that we barely got paid for to research cases, go through lab work, prescribe all the prescriptions, do all the things. And we just keep seeing our elders doing this. So we just keep doing it because we think that's what's expected. And I'm like, no, that's how you burn out. So I mean, that's a long answer, but like it's mm-hmm. all the things, right? It's yep. just like taking control of your life and your autonomy and your business and then figuring out how do you message that? And how? And if I if I see something happening, like with my front staff, if people are calling in and we keep dealing with the same thing and my assistant's getting frustrated, that's my problem. I didn't define boundaries clearly and expectations clearly up front. I didn't educate them enough. And that's where I took to the internet. I was like, oh, I can make a piece of content. That's a piece of content. That's a video. Anything that I have to keep answering, that's a video. That's like we were just talking about my podcast I just keep making episodes based off the questions I keep getting. And it's like, I'm really tired of explaining this to 10 different people or 100 different people. I'm just going to make... There's an episode for that. Here's an episode. Punt. I wrote a book. Punt. That was a big punt. That was not for any other reason than I could say, you know what? No, my practice is closed. No, I can't help you. But here's a great resource. Because I want to be a kind human being and I want to be helpful. But I cannot give of myself until I'm dead. (laughs) No. And you know what? I think you are... It's such a great example for your own clients too, to see you have boundaries. Like one of the things that my clients always say to me is like, I really respect how you have boundaries. And that's not for everyone, by the way. I've turned off many people by not responding to things in a certain time period or something like that. Because to me, I'm just like, that's not, it's not my job. Like your emergency isn't my 
agenda you know and so that's hard (laughs) and to your point about it being our fault to not have boundaries I think it's so easy to blame the patient or blame the person who dms and when we first started Jill Fit I remember um we were doing all one-on-one like kind of fat loss meal plans and stuff like that and I had five coaches working for me all of us were maxed out we had over 100 clients at the time um online and this one woman messaged one of my coaching clients like 73 times on a text message on a Sunday. Oh my God. And she's, and then, so my coaches, she's texting me being like, can you believe so-and-so's messaging? And I was like, no, I mean, no, but like also that's our fault. I was like, that's our fault. And yep. so we completely redid the policies because we just didn't know. And back to your point about having clinical experience, like a lot of things, these things you don't know until you have enough patients or clients or customers and you're like oh okay I didn't know I needed a policy for that until I did right and so I love the money story thing um can you like what sort of tools tactics strategies because even if you're not in this profession and you're listening to this I think a lot of us have like messed up relationships to money so did you go through a transition on that yes did you have like that kind of like you know poor mindset before and like so what was some of the big dial movers for you um, I, yeah, I think any entrepreneur, I think anybody has issues around money. I was raised in a really blue collared family where we had a psychotic work ethic. So you went to work no matter <laughs> what, which is great. I'm really thankful for it, but yep. like very Missouri Midwest work ethic, um, work till you die and still not really have much to show for it kind of thing. And I'm the first person who ever got a degree in my family, but I overcompensated. I like went for all the degrees, right? I was like, I have to get so far ahead of this mess that I, that I overcompensate. And I had a lot of trauma in my young life and a lot of abuse. And so I was overcompensating for all of that. So it was just like, I basically got myself into a ton of debt, student loan debt, like, you know, around half a million dollars, which is huge. And I had to file bankruptcy right when I came out of school because of a bad divorce and um, big mess. So then it was just scarcity, st- literally starving. Like I remember literally, I was probably 20 pounds than I, less than I am now. And I was, and I'm pretty lean. And I was, uh, I had a little daughter and I could only afford to feed her well because she had to, we, I, you know, we, food is a priority for naturopathic doctors. Like we eat organic and we eat really high quality. And so I was giving her the good food and I wasn't eating and I was stressed out. There was a time when I wasn't even sleeping. It was just fear around money, so much fear around money. And I programmed that into my head. And I just, I mean, it was like, I would go, we would go out to eat my daughter and I, or we would go on vacation and we had to share every meal. So like every burrito, everything would get cut in half and she would get half and I would get half. And I really should have gone on food stamps or gotten some kind of assistance, but I refused because I was so stubborn. So there was all that. And then next thing I know, I'm working a ton. I mean, my schedule got busy fast. And for me, it wasn't, I never accounted or I never, I never thought it was because I was great. I thought it was because it was like, I have to make this money or I'm going to starve to death. And so I got really busy, really fast out of just necessity. And then I start, I went online. That's not cheap. It's, it's a lot. It ends up, you know, if you're not a great copywriter, if you're not great with images if, and graphics, like you see, you have to delegate and hire out. And that's part of being a boss is like learning to delegate when and where and what's your time worth. And so there was that whole transition period. And um, I still was struggling. And one day I realized I was actually at an event with a bunch of millionaires. And I was talking to this guy who's such a nice guy, but he makes so much money and he's such a scatterbrain. He's such a complete and total scatterbrain. And he's got really bad ADD. And I was like, enough, like enough spinning my wheels because I was, I think I was working with you at this point, just enough spinning my wheels over dimes for this guy's just racking it in for whatever reason. And he's had, you know, he's got some things set up and he's done some good business moves. And I just made a commitment to myself and an affirmation that money flows readily and easily to me. Because I grew up in this blue collar family where if you weren't in the clinic or in the job or on the job site doing the work, you didn't deserve the money that was coming at you. Like you didn't just get to have money come at you. You had to earn that paycheck and you had to be able to account for every hour and you had to be there killing yourself. And I just gave it up. I was like, you know what? That's, that's my family's trauma. That's theirs. And they can have it and they can stay in their income bracket. But like, not only do I have to get out of being an indentured servant, because that's what being half a million dollars of student loan debt is, you're an indentured servant to the government. Not only do I have to get over that, I can't be generous and change the world if I don't have the kind of money that I need to make. And it's stupid. Like you need a stupid amount of money to do big things in this world because the world's expensive. So 
I just decided right then and there, like money will flow readily and that it does flow readily and easily to me. And I say that every single day in the shower out loud and I just get checks. Like I literally just, and it's ridiculous how much money came to me in such an easy way. But I had done the groundwork. I had done the long game. I had given so much value to my profession and loved them up so much that they were, when I asked, like, that's what you always taught me. It's like, you're just one ask away. You've done all the legwork. Most people have to build all that when they start with you or I, and like that takes years, but I had already done it. I just had to present them with the opportunity, the opportunity. And they said yes. And they flocked and it's been amazing. And I've been able to help so many doctors and they've helped me be a better coach. And so, and so it goes, but, um, I it literally was just one day deciding like my parents' story around money was not my story anymore. And I, that, I was just letting it go. Like it wasn't, I'm sure I meditated a ton on it, but it wasn't like overnight, but I just, I quit being afraid of money. Money's just a tool. It's literally just a tool. And the more you have of it, the more you can do cool shit to help the world. That to me, that's it. Like I can't help my profession the way I want with that. Like that event I just had, right. really, it was a really expensive event to put on. And I wouldn't have ha- been able to do that and help that many people get inspired if I didn't have the money to throw down for that. So when I told my friend how much it was, he's a new doc. He's like, you're rich. I'm like, no, I'm not rich. But I, you know, it, I remember having to come up with a thousand dollars and it being soul crushing. I remember buying my daughter a $175 Nintendo little thing for Christmas one year. It was like the biggest highlight of my life because I was, I saved my money to buy that. And now it's like, you know, this year she had to go into a program for her health and it was 40 grand and I had it. And I'm not saying that to brag. I just was like, oh, I have it. And it's like not, it doesn't hurt to let it go. Like that didn't destroy me. It was like, oh, I have this sitting in the bank and I can put it towards what she needs right now. And my mom just had a major health scare and we had to throw a lot. I had to throw a lot of time and money at it to help her. And she, yesterday she's like, let me pay you back. And I was like, I need you more than I, that money's not important to me. I need you. Like I need my mom. I can't do any of this without my mom. So don't worry about it. You know, like it's, it just becomes this kind of non-issue when you're not freaking out about it all the time. Yeah. Which is so counterintuitive because if you think, Oh, I need to think about money all the time and I need to like count my pennies and like do that, then that's the only responsible way to make money. But I mean, the people I know who are the most wealthy are also the most generous and yeah. often, and they're always investing too. And I think that's counterintuitive too. It's like, I see like when you put on that event, right? Maybe you even lose money out of that. I'm not saying you did, but like, I've definitely lost money on live events before, but I see it as an investment. I'm like, now I'm someone who hosts live events. I'm someone who, you know, is starting to be known for this thing. Like you've obviously stepped into your power as the, as like a leader in your profession and like you needed money to be able to do that. And yes. you also need a lot of courage, Yes, which is something I obviously know that you have. But like, tell me some of the, what were some of the biggest obstacles around making that ascension into and just honestly, just like, you know, grabbing the bull by the horns and being like, fuck it, I'm doing it. No one else is doing it. I'm doing it. I know that you, you and I have talked privately about some of the different kind of, you know, uh, obstacles that have come up maybe with peers or friends or so or haters. What does that look like? Well, so doing regenerative orthopedics, it was, it's an old boys club. It's a bunch of old white dudes with white hair, some of whom I love dearly. So I can't diss white dudes with white hair. <laughs> In fact, I'm dating white dudes with white hair. So I, yeah, it's fine. But the world is ran by white dudes with white hair. And in regenerative orthopedics, there's no women. There was no women. There was certainly no young women. There was no young, attractive women. There was like five women at these conferences, if I was lucky. And most of them were much older and, you know, kind of, I don't, I don't want to say dowdy, but you know, like just old, like here I am with short gray hair, but that's what the, you know, that's, and I just had to put, I was like, I don't know. I'm, I'm crushing it. I'm in Portland. I've got a cash practice. I'm living the dream of what they all were trying to achieve. They were all trying to get out of insurance model. And here I was doing it. They didn't believe me. They're like, whose wife are you? Whose nurse are you? Whose assistant are you? So that was like the first phase. And I think getting through that gauntlet was, what got me the bravery to do everything else. I do remember my first few years in practice, I refused to take health insurance. And my colleagues were like, well, who are you to assume you don't have to do what we're doing? We're scrapping by on insurance. And who are you to assume you don't have to? And I'm like, I'm Tina fucking Moore. I, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I mean that in like straight up, like you're Jill Coleman. There is no other Jill Coleman and you know who you are. And you, you're, you're confident in your abilities. To me, I was always confident in my ability to figure it out. Yeah. And I, I can think figure it out. Too. Yeah. Figure like, it out. 
I actually, they started making more money than me faster and living more comfortable lives faster because they had, you could go onto the health insurance's website and there they were being advertised. So they were getting like free leads all the time. Whereas I had to build a reputation and like, I was the only one of two doctors in Portland who were cash. I mean, I had to prove myself and I was like, I better be a damn good prolotherapist. I better really be able to walk my talk. If I'm going to charge what I think I'm worth, and really putting the value on yourself and saying, I am worth this much money, you better be able to back it up. And that's something I teach the docs I coach. I'm like, you don't get to just walk out and say, I, I'm charging $500 an hour. It better be a damn good 500 or a thousand or whatever it is, like make it worth it. Um, so there was that. And then when I stepped out online, I obviously got a lot of grief. And it's interesting, you get the most grief from your own colleagues within your profession. So there was a lot of backhanded compliments. Why do you think that? Because it's just scarcity mentality or like, who are you to do this? Because they haven't yet. When I started teaching prolotherapy in person and also the online courses that I developed with your help, um, there was just a lot of backhanded compliments because there were doctors who'd been doing prolotherapy a lot longer than me, but they just hadn't figured out how to put it together. And I spent the time and I took a lot of time away from my daughter and my family and my life. And I, you know, I lost a marriage over it. And I spent a lot of time figuring out how this works so that I could have a better life later. And I knew it. And I just, I'm really good at like hunkering in and like, I love strength training. I think that's a huge part of my courage because it teaches you to be brave every single time. You don't always get the wins that you're expecting. And I've really gotten into the strong first kettlebell system, which is like KGB Russian kettlebells. And that is next level hard, like Jedi hard. And it requires a lot of control and patience and baby, you know, I just did like an 18 kilo Turkish get up. And I remember when I couldn't even do it with like a water bottle, you know? So it took years, but those are huge wins. And that translates into my business model because, and I said that from the stage at my summit, I was like, if you guys don't strength train, you will not be able to achieve the level of success that you want. You have to have a strong body to manage this. And the universe will only give you what you can handle. And if you're plagued with sickness and weakness, you know, so just all those things kind of added up for me. That was one of the reasons I hired you was because you strength trained. (laughs) And it mattered to yeah. me, you know, like I don't take advice from people who are not, I don't take health advice from people who are not healthier than me. And I don't take business advice from people who don't like have the package. Like I, you, you know, and this is something that you've taught me and I've, I've learned along the way too. It's like the people that hire you to coach them, you always say people don't hire coaching, they hire coaches, they buy coaches. They want to be you or they want some kind of version of your lifestyle, right? I loved watching your lifestyle. And I was like, I want that. I can have that. If she can have that, I can have that. It's just a matter of putting in the time and the reps. And so I don't know if it was so much courage as just grit and tenacity. Like (laughs) I'm a terrier. If there's a bone, I will dig it up. I don't care if I have to bloody my nose, if I have to go eight ways, but I will do it smarter the next time and smarter the next time. And if I have to be like, Hey, yo, you're really good at this. Can you help me? Like whatever breed dog you are, (laughs) what are you doing to get there faster? You know, I will go pay money to that dog to figure out how to do that. And I don't have any quality and I don't care. It's not about like, oh, is this five grand or is this 10 grand or does it cost 30 grand to hire this person? If I want access to that person, whatever their ticket is, is what I have to figure out how to come up with so I can have access to that person, right? Because they have something I need. And just being smart about who you choose to coach you and who you choose to navigate towards and these live event things. I mean, I love teaching workshops. And so, and I love live events and for me, it's always been medical conferences, but that's a huge part of my success was I was always going to medical conferences, even as a student. So my name was out there. By the time I got out into practice, people were already making referrals because I had already built a reputation. And I, you cannot underestimate the power of networking. And it may be like five or 10 years later that that person pops up in your life again, that you made a connection with at some random thing. You're sitting at a lunch table or whatever. And like, I don't know, you have to show up and be in the room. It's just as important. So I you know, you, you run your business similarly to the way I do in that, like you show up, you get on the planes, you go to the places, you meet the people. I think you're, I think you have to do that stuff now. You know, I mean, not now, but just like in general, I think you have to do those kind of things. So when I look at some of my own clients who have been the most successful, a couple of things is number one, they say yes more than anything else. They come to the event, they show up at the thing. They, cause you know, like you have live events, I have live events, you know, and people are like, ah, just might be too much. Or like, and I get that. Like everyone has their own situation, home situation, you know, you need childcare, whatever. But like, if you're constantly being like, I wish I was there. And then you're not actually doing the thing. I don't know if you get this. And this is a pet peeve of mine is whenever I'm hosting a live event, 
I will get so many DMs that weekend of people being like, I'm definitely going to be at the next one. Right. Like, why are you taking my time right. when I'm busy as shit over this weekend? Right. Just tell me that you're going to just buy a ticket. Like literally just buy a ticket. Just be there. Just be there. Just be in the room. Like, okay, cool. See you next time. But like, don't tell me every single time. Yeah. So I always think that like totally. doing those kind of one percenter actions that like not a lot of people are willing to do definitely gives you an edge. And then one thing that you mentioned earlier that you do so well is, is being in an abundance mindset, right? You're always like, you always, you want everyone to do well. You want the whole profession to do well. And I think that has been part of your power over the last several years is not wondering like if this person's taking your business or this person's, I've never one time had you like had, you know, heard you at all ever say like you felt in competition with anybody. I don't, I, I want to make sure specifically in the regenerative medicine space that they're getting taught well, but I don't think of them. I mean, my, my trainings are so exclusive and so small that like, of course there's other people who are, I, I think I've helped create a whole business for people because I have created such an awareness around regenerative medicine that like now all these trainings are cropping up, which is great. I just want to make sure they're being safe and we're not like having mediocre because you know, (laughs) a naturopathic doctor goes out and like gives somebody diarrhea with vitamin C and it's on the front. It's on the news. It's like a big deal. So like I have to protect the reputation of the profession, but I don't ever look at them as competition whatsoever. Um, I just want to make sure it's quality. As far as business goes, I like that doceri summit. I don't care if they get coaching with me or with you. I just want them to get coaching. Like, I just want them to invest in themselves, whatever amount of money that is. I want them to take the first step because I'm not everyone's cup of tea. I know that. That's fine. I don't like everybody. Everybody doesn't like me and that's okay. But yeah. And then showing up is like, I mean, so Karan Krishnan was at, he's the owner of Microbiome Labs. He sends me a text. He had a big event called the Microbiome Keynotes and they, he sponsors, he's so generous with me, he sponsors my podcast and he's a good friend. And I get a text from him a few weeks before the event. It's in Huntington Beach and like it conflicts with my schedule pretty hard and I hadn't signed up yet. And I get a personal text from him. He's like, you're going to be there, right? And I was like, yes, I will be there. And then with, with your event that's happening tomorrow, I was like, I don't think I can come. And you're like, so when you come, we'll podcast and work out. And I'm like, okay, I will come. <laughs> I'm like, come in for 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. We'll do all the things. Yeah. But it was like, it's assumed, right? Like you show up for your friends and you, and you showed up for mine and we, that's what you do. And, and that translates. It's not a direct, like, if I do this, I will get this out of it. It's not that it's the long game, right? Like I want all naturopathic doctors to be members of the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. Why? Not because you get all these awesome bonuses by being part of the association, but because the public doesn't know the fake NDs from the real NDs. And that's a whole other conversation. And they need one place to go look you up and make sure you're real. It matters. Like it matters that people show up and have a seat at the table and that our profession has a voice. And we can only do that if we have one unifying thing. So like freaking show up. And when people are like, I don't like the AMP, I don't like what they're doing. I don't want to go to their conference. I'm like, I didn't ask you that. Right, <laughs> I don't like, care. where's your solution? Like, where's your solution? Though? Right. That's or when people are like, I don't like this conference. I'm like, so why aren't you out there putting in a proposition to speak? you don't like the way that this is being taught about pain or this or that. So freaking step up and write a PowerPoint and submit it and go talk. Oh, I'm sorry. You're scared. And that's scary. It is freaking scary. And you don't get paid to speak at medical conferences for the most part until you're big enough to draw a crowd and be big enough of a brand to help sell tickets. Then you're the keynote and then you get paid. But I did 10 years of speaking gigs for free where I paid every penny to get myself there just to be in the room just to speak, just to have that on my resume, you know? And it's like, that's just how I'm just sharing this. Cause like, that's how I have had success. Yep. I just kept showing up, spending my own money, my own time, because I knew it was the long game. And I knew the more stages I can get on and the more I could be in the room at these events and the more people I could intermingle with and connect with. And like, you never know, you never know when you turn around, who's going to be standing there. It might be somebody like that you've been waiting to meet for years. And you're like, Oh my God, I'm a super fan and this is a big influencer and they're going to have a huge, who knows what's going to come of it. But if you're not there. Right. You're definitely not going to be, have a chance of anything. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that um, I love even about investment going back to that conversation is, you know, you're going to spend $10,000 on like a coach or a mentorship or something. You're not like, 
being like, okay, let me make sure I like my profit and loss like books are showing that I make $10,000 back exactly <laughs> within the time period. Like, whereas I think a lot of people, especially, and, and if you're listening to this and you have not invested significantly, you know, for me and Tina, like, and for Danny J, investment is just a value system. It's literally like, yeah. if I'm not investing, I'm like, I'm getting stale. Like, yeah. I literally feel like I'm getting stale if I'm not investing. And so it, instead of being scared to invest, now it's the opposite. It's a, it's a 180. And I think, when you start to get to that point, you're not looking at it like I need to make my money right back. Whereas I think a lot of people who are maybe new to investing, they're like, how long do you think it's going to take me to make my, and I'm like, how no hard idea. do you want to fucking work? <laughs> right? Like literally like, well, no, depending on how much you do as a result right. of this new information or how engaged you say, but it's always not, it's not a one-to-one. No, it's not. And so you have to have that, what faith, would you call it like faith or belief or self-confidence or self-trust that like, you're going to fucking make it work. It's scary sometimes to invest, but at the end of the day, it just gets easier though. Like now I I have money allocated to invest in myself. That's the best, I'm my best asset. So I have a strength and conditioning coach that I pay handsomely. I have business coaches. I have, you know, I do the things because that at the end of the day, it is not one-to-one and it would be ridiculous to think that I'm just far more interested in like hiring people who are better at the thing I want to get good at. So if, if I want to get more fit, I need to hire somebody who knows more about that. If I want to be healthier, I need to hire a doctor who's smarter than me at that. If I want to be more successful in business, I need to hire somebody who's making more money than me and who's smarter and been doing it longer. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not even a matter of the amount of dollars. Sometimes you get a smoking deal and other times it's like crazy expensive, but it doesn't matter. It's, I want access to that person's brain. And this is what I'm trying to teach my doctors that I coach. Like, if somebody wants access to my brain, it's expensive. It's a, my, my doctor brain, my business brain, those are expensive brains and I charge a premium and I have no qualms about it. And I used to have a ton of issues with that, but like, you know, I was, I was doing like, for instance, doing regenerative medicine is really, really easy. If you want me to look at your Dutch test and your hormones and your gut and all the blood tests that requires a different part of my brain, that brain is more, much more expensive. So when patients would be there, they're like, here's all my labs. I'm like, I don't need this. I need to know these three markers to see if you have, you know, if you're going to heal well, if you have blood sugar dysregulation, and if you, your tissues are optimized, everything else is like up to your nature path. And they're like, but I want your opinion. I'm like, yeah, that costs three times as much as my ortho brain because my ortho brain is so well tuned. It's just fast, fast, fast. And that's okay too. Like you can actually have different price points for different things that you do. Love it. Love it. (laughs) That it's fair. You know, I don't want to think that hard. I don't want to go through 20 pages of your labs. (laughs) That is not the best use of my time. I'm here to fix your knee or your back. I know exactly what's wrong with your knee and back. I know all the contributing factors just by glancing at this and I know how to get this better. But like you want me to go into a different realm that I'm not. That's like asking a dermatologist to to go over a pediatric case. Mm. Yeah, they could. They might actually have a lot of skill at that, but like they don't. They don't want to do that. Yeah. They don't have to do that. They don't want to do it. They don't have to do it. So last thing that I want to touch on is exactly what, when you keep saying regenerative medicine, what is that exactly? I know that you do PRP, you do prolo, et cetera. So like, why would someone come to you and what are those modalities? So I most, um, I most love prolotherapy. That's what I do the most of. And that is actually an injection of sugar water into damaged ligaments, tendons, and joints to regenerate them. And so just really quickly, sugar water sounds crazy, right? But it's hyperosmotic. So it causes a kind of a noxious, irritant uh, reaction. And the body responds by bringing on an, a modulated inflammatory response. So ligaments and tendons have a poor blood supply. And you've probably injured your, sprained your ankle numerous times as an athlete. It doesn't like to heal well because there's not a lot of blood going to those tissues. And so we actually pepper it with the needle and then we inject different solutions to induce a healing response, natural solutions. That grows up into platelet-rich plasma, which I also love. That's where we take the patient's blood. We spin out the platelets. Platelets have like 20-some known growth factors, which are amazing. Concentrate that down. Same technique, different, different solution in the syringe, more potent. Um, it's not about just shooting juice in the joint. You've got to actually treat all the damaged tissues around the joint. So you really have to know what you're doing. There's a truck going by. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, truck. I think it's trash day. That's a sanitary. This, it would not be a podcast at my place if we didn't have, have things. Oh, Pip says what's <laughs> happening. So, and then that can grow up into like exosomes, stem cells, fancier things. A lot of doctors nowadays are doing the fancy expensive therapies 
without really having a great hold on their orthopedic skills. So be careful who you hire to do this because they are, uh, it's a great money generator for practices. So we've got like ER docs and neurologists and dermatologists doing orthopedic joint injections. Mm. But I don't know about you, I probably would want my joint treated by somebody who is a specialist in joints. Yep. So it's a natural way to regenerate tissues, whereas the standard of care is all catabolic, meaning cortisone surgery. That's all reducing yep. tissue and destroying tissue. So love it. That's it in a nutshell. Okay, you do a little bit in the anti-aging space. So like what if, okay, like we have, I would say our demographic is probably 35 plus on this uh, podcast. Um, and we've done one on eight, we've done a couple episodes on aging. What would be, if someone came to you and just had all the money in the world, it was like, hey, I want to, you know, I feel I notice like the changes in my skin and my tissue integrity, my face, my hair, I'm losing hair. Like what would you, how would you treat that? The first thing I'm asking for a friend, I would, <laughs> I would look at their diet and I would look at their lifestyle and their stress levels, obviously, and make sure that that's not because, cause that's huge, right? Like you, you see stress on people's face and in their hair and like, how does that work? Well, when you have chronic cortisol pumping out of you because of stress, your, your adrenal glands are constantly cranking out cortisol. Cortisol is catabolic. It destroys tissues. So you you're kind of slow cooking yourself. You're, you're aging yourself abruptly. If people eat a lot of sugar or drink a lot of alcohol, they're now actually um, caramelizing their cells, so to speak. You're creating advanced glycosylated end products on your cells, which are, it's, you're caramelizing your cells. You're oxidizing. You're rusting. So if they're rusting and then they're nutritionally not eating dense, good, healthy, you know, fats, proteins, vegetables, I can tell how much somebody, how I can tell how people, how many vegetables people are eating just by looking at their skin. That's like crazy. It's, it's pretty obvious. And then really importantly is the hormones. But if the, if the, like I said, if the clean water and the sleep and their, their circadian rhythms all screwed up from maybe going by coastally, that's a big one. I see a lot of young people, I call it like entrepreneurial syndrome. Their labs all look the same <laughs> from just that chronic high level of stress. Um, I want to make sure their hormones are optimized, but hormones, it's kind of a moot point to get your hormones dealt with if those base level therapies are not dealt with. So if lifestyle is aberrant and crazy, then hormones are like a Band-Aid. So thyroid's a big one. I think women in particular in their 30s, mid 30s, especially after childbirth, it could be earlier, but after childbirth, thyroid starts to struggle. So making sure, and this isn't about giving somebody hormones to the level of a 25 year old, we just want to give them physiologic doses so they can age gently. So I've been using, you know, for instance, Botox and low levels of hormones since I was 33, just to keep things because I've had a lot of stress and it's pretty apparent. Like if the Botox wears off, it's all there. So it's all about little tiny doses along the way to really, really age well and just kind of ease into menopause, which I am. I can feel myself going into perimenopause a little bit and just, I want it to be a nice, simple, easy transition, not this like big womp. Yeah. You know, and if you start getting belly fat, if you start in your, you know, you're eating the same, you're exercising the same things are starting, your sleep starting to get off, your libido starting to get off, something's going wrong there. And it really behooves a person to get with a good naturopathic doctor, a good functional medicine doctor to just kind of ease that transition out. What I needed five years ago is not what I need right now. Um, yeah. And then I can throw in some bonuses. I can do these, I can do like PRP in the skin. I can do injections. I can do microneedling. I can inject the hair and the genitals and make all that pop. But in truth, I shouldn't be having to throw PRP in a woman's clitoris. There's probably something wrong with her hormones. Give her a little testosterone or a little estrogen or whatever it is she needs. And like that clitoris should work again. So I don't want to use PRP as a Band-Aid, but right. it is helpful. Cool. So that's kind of the anti-aging part of it. It's again, just common sense, like finding out what's wrong with them. Yep. This is why we can't rely. Do you have to, do you have to quit drinking? Uh, <laughs> no, but I drank last night and now I'm all puffy <laughs> and I feel, I feel terrible. So it's, you know, it is a poison. It doesn't, and not all of us are the same. It depends on our genetic propensity to clear it and how metabolic, you're really metabolic. You've got a lot of muscle and you're really active. So you probably clear alcohol. Like if you weren't doing those things, alcohol. See, I need you to not tell me that. Because I'm like, oh, okay, I'm doing good. Yeah. I know. I do too, but I can clear it. And so, it, you know, it's, it's everything has its tipping point. You know, you can, you can push it a little bit. And then, you know, when you've like, you probably know this with the all the travel you do. It's like, you can, you can mess with your sleep just so much. And if then, I'm not sleeping, oh my God, I look, I'm, I'm a different, totally different person. Yeah. I, I sleep like, like nine hours a night though. I feel like I'm dying. If, like last night, I didn't get any sleep for some reason. So. <laughs> Yeah. So anti-aging really isn't to me anti-aging. I'm just trying to age optimally. 
Yep. I'm just trying to age really well. Like, so I want to be hot as fuck at 45. And well, when you I, are hot as fuck. Thank so. you. <laughs> when I'm 50, <laughs> I want to be like hot for 50, you yep. know? And I, not like for ego driven purposes, but I just, I want to be healthy. Good. I want a healthy libido. I want a healthy vagina. I want healthy joints. I don't want pain. I want good sleep. I want, I've had all those things go on me and it was terrible and a nightmare. And like, I don't ever want my health compromised again. So I think that that's aging intentionally is, and I mean that aging well intentionally is probably the goal more than anti-aging. I don't want to look 25. Right. I just want to look hot 45. Awesome. Well, you're you're already doing that. (laughs) Um, Amazing. This was so informative. So if someone's listening to this and they want to learn more about you, what you do, even just, you know, stalk you on social, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? And remember you guys do not DM her uh, doctor (laughs) questions or business questions. Just get on her email list because that's where all the good stuff is. Yeah. I won't, I won't answer. Um, I have a free book that actually covers a lot of great stuff that you can find at drtina.com. It's D-R-T-Y-N-A.com. You can find me at Dr. Tina on Instagram. That's kind of where I'm, you, you're, I'm sure you're so proud of me. I came around, like I'm doing the Instagram I thing. I saw you, <laughs> just skyrocketing. It's so good. <laughs> so, well, Facebook is depressing, so I'm not on there very much. Um, so yeah, Instagram is where you can find me. I have a podcast called painfreestrongradio.com. And so there's tons of episodes. You were on my pot. You mm-hmm. should come back on again. Love it. We did an early episode we could talk, together. Yeah, we talked about moderation, 365. Yeah. The last time I was on, we should definitely talk about business. That was like three years ago. Yeah. So yeah, we should get you back on. Lots of episodes there. Lots of stuff about health. And I've got some great guests on there too. And uh, yeah, that's it. Amazing. Well, thank, thank you so much for being here. And make sure you guys follow her at Dr. Tina with a Y, Tina with a Y, uh, on Instagram and all the things. Make sure you get on our list. She is just on a rocket ship right now. And it's uh, so great for me to watch you. And I just love knowing you. And thank I appreciate you. it. I love you. All right. I love you too. All right, you guys. We And we love you. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.